Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, again, those of you who share my age demographic, growing older stinks, doesn't it? It stinks. But I, I do want you to understand, there are a couple of things that I will tell you. It clarifies what's important as we grow older. Uh, I'll be fair with you, life blinded me. I don't know about you. So when I was a kid, when I, asked, when I was asked, what's the most important thing that you're going to do? And I'm going, when do I get to drive? You know, I got to drive, and then it was, when do I get to turn 21? Wasn't a Christian. I was looking forward. I was looking forward to beverages that wasn't on my playlist when I was a younger man. When, when, when am I going to get married? Another critical question. And I'll be fair with you, I'm glad I answered that one right. But was it the most critical question? I come to this stage in life, and I now ask myself, okay, what's the most critical question that we have to answer? And, and now I have to tear off and go, well, it wasn't driving. Well, you know, I really, I really take joy in my marriage, and it's an important question. Is it the most critical? No, it's, it's really not the most critical. How many children are not the most critical? How much is in my savings account? Not the most critical. And in fairness, whether we are young or we are old, we have to answer the most critical question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? You see, fail that question. And you will spend an eternity in separation from him. Fail that question. You have no purpose down here in life. Mark helps us distill life so that we understand the most critical question. You see, Mark, using that wonderful word immediately, keeps taking us to just the important stuff. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. And with each effort, he just shows us, if you will, the most important gold nugget at the moment. So, so far, we've come back and, and we've seen Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king who will sit on the throne of David. We've seen Jesus as the Son of God who's promised Emmanuel for thousands of years. We've seen him worthy of glory and honor and praise. He's the Lord of lords, do all the rights of divine royalty. Family, we've seen him defeat his archenemy. Now, I want to remind you afresh, and we'll see it even more today as we study God's Word, to call Satan 
Jesus Christ's arch enemy is to give Satan a promotion he does not deserve. When God the Son, omnipotent in power, omniscient in ability, has, has a battle against his created being, forgive me, do you really think that's a fair fight? So to call Satan his arch enemy is, is making Satan too important. But he stood in battle against him. And even in his weakest state, wearing flesh, Satan's no match for him. So family, we, we continue in this study. He chooses his first followers. And now we're going to see him systematically take what's his. And we're going to look at a, a, a large chunk of Scripture, and for that I apologize this morning. And I would like you to keep your Bibles open in your laps in, in Mark chapter 1. We'll be there for the morning. But if you're a Bible marker, I even warn you right now, every time you see the word authority in chapters 1, and you'll see it again next week as Kevin preaches in chapter 2. You're going to see this idea of authority of Jesus Christ. It's something that no other human has ever presented to any culture. And it is overwhelming. And so just as you see it in, within the text, look down and go, oh, that's what Pete's talking about. And just underline it, make it a, make it a part of your study of God's Word this morning. What we're going to see is, is he begins to take what's rightfully his. And when you have authority, there should be an expected power. Policeman pulled me over. This was years ago. And he says, give me your license. Aggressive, rude, unkind. Grabbed my license, went back, came back. I said, sir... Why did you pull me over? Well, you know what you were doing. Sir, why did you pull me over? You were tailgating. I said, sir, did you see the incidents? I saw it very well. I said, sir, this was back in the day that just went from 55 to more aggressive driving. I said, sir, when everybody saw you, we were accordion. And if you'll notice, I'm in the middle. There wasn't anything I could do about it. And he said, well, then go in and declare your innocence. Again, mean-spirited, ugly, and unkind. I said, I can't do that. He said, why? I said, you wear a blue, blue uniform. I said, that has to mean something to a judge. And if I'm going to stand a, in front of a judge, and it's a he said, and he said, and you wear a blue uniform, if you're any kind of judge, you better buy what the blue uniform says. And he took, that, he, he took that. He said, you believe that? I said, yes. He says, if you believe you're innocent, you go in and you declare your innocence. And I did. Then we had to make an, another trial, and the trial date came, and he and I were there together. He stood up, and it was when my turn, he said, the judge asked the policeman, sir, how, how do you see? He said, I believe 
the case as Mr. Slusher will present it. He said, were you there? He says, oh yeah, I remember it very vividly, but I will believe it the way Mr. Slusher presents it. And he looks over to me and he says, then I declare you innocent. You see, the blue uniform has to have power because it has to have authority. If it has no authority, then we've diminished its power. And so when Jesus speaks today, you are going to see his authority. And so I want you to notice where we, we really begin this morning's journey. We're going to see his authority with God's word. So let's read together verses 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. And he taught them as one who had authority not as the scribes. Family, uh, you'll get a little background this morning from time to time, but a synagogue in the first century had no single preacher. There was no senior pastor as, as we have, as you've allowed me the, the right to, to, to uniquely have the pulpit now for all of these years. They had men that they allowed to come to the pulpit who were part of the synagogue, and they had traveling teachers who would show up, and they were given time to teach and explain God's Word. It was known as freedom of the synagogue. Today, Jesus shows up. Jesus would teach with two words that no rabbi would ever utter. And I, and I want you to remember, you'll see them throughout the Gospels, I say. If you want to look at, at one of the most tightly packed sections of I say, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon of the Mount, you'll see over and over again, but I say, I say, and I say. If I would take you back to the Old Testament and we would look at the prophets, 1,280 times we find one of the most profound and appreciated expressions that the Bible has. In the old days of the King James, I loved it because it seemed to resonate with power. It said, thus saith the Lord. And the prophet would be standing in God's place. Today, our, our translation said, the Lord says. Loses some of that, that real powerful thought, doesn't it? But even then, Jesus said, I say. I say. There, there was, there's no thought here. He owns Scripture. The idea of author and authority walk together. Family, and that authority rang out. He spoke, and they listened, and they couldn't believe it. The idea of authority is a decision-making power that comes from the right of the position. Let me, let me share with you just, just one expression. Acts 1-7 says it this way. It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. So as we look into the tomorrows, one of the reasons why we don't have a really good human 
understanding as what the tomorrow is going to hold is because we don't have clarity from God. God says, that's in my mind. I have the right to tell you when this is going to happen and when this is going to happen, when this is going to happen. You just have faith in me. We saw last week Jesus was speaking and Peter was told to feed my sheep. And Jesus comes back and and simply tells him that in the end, when you're an old man, you're going to die on the cross. And And I love the idea. He doesn't add anything. He just adds, follow me. So whatever age Peter is now, as he approaches probably 30-some years old, and the time that he dies, his early 60s, but that 30 years, he doesn't tell him, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you. He just says, follow me. I have authority to, to take you out, and this is how it's going to happen. And I have authority to charge all along the way. You just be quiet and follow me. His authority is what we're talking about here. So in Mark, the people are amazed that Jesus said and spoke singularly to the meaning of the Old Testament. But what I want you to also take note, family, they were unmoved. It never reached their heart. They were impressed with what he said. They stood in awe of what he said. They couldn't believe what he said but it never reached their hearts so that they were transformed and willing to obey. And I want to remind you and I in applicational way, when God's word is presented, listen with the expectation that you need to hear something from God for you to ingest into your own heart and life. Family, one of the things that that I'm concerned, not only for myself, but for, for all of us who walk and declare our allegiance to the Lord, is how the impact of COVID is slowly leaching out an acute dependency on God. How how we simply and cavalierly can look down and go, ah another good day, oh, another bad day, and we don't seem to have a vitality, a care, a concern for the richer and more wonderful and fuller truths of God's Word as it impacts our own heart. And so, family, I I want you and I, let's not ever be impressed with, with the talent of an individual. Let's never be impressed with the show of worship. Let's never be impressed simply because it's a packed house. If we don't ingest and apply God's Word in our lives, we're just going to a show. And that day, they were listening to the greatest presenter of the gospel truth available, Jesus Christ Himself. And they were unmoved. But I want you to understand, there's one, there's one listener who understood the authority of of Jesus Christ and was unraveled. An evil spirit changed the path of the Sabbath. 
as that evil spirit barked out that morning, the Lord, on His part, He was worried that the Lord would send him to the demonic world to eternal punishment then and there. And as he responded, he's both venomously hateful and deeply fearful. So I want you to notice as he declares his authority with God's word, he now is going to declare his authority over evil spirits. Family, notice if you will as we read just to set the tone here, Mark chapter 1, 23 and following. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, family, I want you to hear, we don't don't talk about unclean spirits. We don't talk about evil spirits. And, you know, in the 40-some years of being in ministry, haven't had one show up to church yet. Now, I'll be fair with you, I want to keep it that way. All right, so if you all want something else, find somewhere else, because I'm trying to keep status quo. Don't want them to show up. Okay? Okay? Evil spirits at that time were common enough. Many scholars believe that it's because of the arrival of Jesus himself that there was a new intensity. We find them in high concentration in the Gospels. But once you get to Acts, you find them diminished. We find them in the book of of Acts in the city of Ephesus, but very few times elsewhere. And in this time, the, the scribes and the Pharisees had already tried to do exorcisms. And... They were quite comical, if you can imagine. They actually tried to put stinky roots up the noses of the person who was was filled with the demon, hoping that they could, if you will, stink or gas him out of the body of the individual. They would literally beat the guy, hoping to soften up the body in some way that they could dispel the spirit. And then once they did that, they would start almost like magical incantations to try to throw them out. You're going to see in a moment, Jesus just simply says, come out. Tertullian, uh, this is the third century AD, northern Africa, tells of, of demonic activity and the ability of believers to help those who don't even know Christ to find the demonic world removed And he simply said this. He says, ask any Christian to throw out an evil spirit. They can do this with the simple words of the authority of Jesus Christ. And then he adds, and if they can't do it, kill them. They're phonies. How would you like to get that advice from your pastor this morning? (laughs) Ah, we can handle that. But family, what I want to warn you this morning, we don't, we don't see that, and we can get a little jaded about the reality of the evil world. So on one level, I don't want us to find demons in every sinful behavior that you ever commit, and we can do that. 
And, and denominations have done that in the past. On the, at the same time, I don't want us to throw it out. Because in doing so, we often minimize the supernatural. We might minimize heaven and hell. We might minimize the work of the cross in our efforts of just simply growing more cold and materialistic. So let me give you just this simple confidence. I trust a charismatic theologian by the name of Craig Keener. He is a professor at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. And his exhaustive research into the supernatural, both um, miracles and demon possession, are really quite exhaustive. And in fairness, if he says it, I have a confidence enough that he has researched it deeply enough. His book on miracles is over a thousand pages. And he will tell us that anthropologists, whether in Christ or in the unbelieving world, have such confidence in possession that they say to not believe in possession is to make you a flat earther. Think that through. If you don't believe in a supernatural demon possession, believer or unbeliever, anthropological, uh, anthropological world, they said you might as well just be a flat earther because they assume it to be true. One woman um, will tell us, Edith Turner, a non-believing teacher at the University of Virginia, she said she saw a spirit substance coming from the back of an individual as she studied in Zambia. David Instone Brewer, a believing psychiatrist, was going around his rounds and he was simply and silently praying within his own mind from bed to bed to bed, men and women that he was caring for as a doctor. And as he got to the bed of one of the patients, in silent prayer, the patient stuck his finger into the nose of the doctor and yelled, leave him alone, he's mine. Family, understand, we don't want to make a big deal about it, we don't want to belittle it. Let's live in the middle. Our African brothers and sisters can tell us many stories. And I'll be fair with you, I'd rather just, just leave it alone. In one period of time of fascination on my own part, I lost sleep like you can't believe. I went to see a pastor, and in all his wisdom, he says, you want to sleep good at night? I said, oh yeah, please. Stop watching this stuff. Stop reading this stuff. Years ago, we had an individual who was part of our church family that came in and said, we have a, we have a small child who runs around the house at night. And I said, supernatural, supernatural. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, I'm just curious. Are you watching the supernatural shows on TV? Oh, yeah, they're one of our favorites. 
I said, would you do me a favor? I said, stop watching for one month and tell me if the little child doesn't go away. They stopped watching, and the child went away. Now, understand, I'm not telling you that they saw the child or were hallucinating. I can't, con- I can't confirm that. But what I can tell you is, your mind will be wildly susceptible to anything when you open it up to things that you ought not to. So family, let's live in the middle. Let's always remember that we have the authority given to us by Jesus Christ. The things that you and I can have confidence on today is we never need to fear. Jesus' name alone has authority. Jude teaches us that even Michael the archangel standing before Satan only had to utter, the Lord rebuke you. You have the same authority. The demon world may might fake like they have power, but they must obey. And the truth is, Jesus lives in you. Family, Jesus quiets the spirit within and expels him. I believe he, he refuses the demon utterance refusing to allow him to identify Christ because he didn't need sarcastic advertising from Satan's minions. He's already going to be accused in a few weeks as we study God's Word that he was doing exorcisms by the power of Satan. If he had the sarcastic advertising, it would have been even more confusing. Mark's emphasis here is on the power of Jesus. You and I should never forget the authority and the power that our Savior has. The creator of the world has power over the supernatural, but he also controls the natural. He uses that power with love and compassion and delivers people from diseases. So we now see the third of his authorities, his authority over illness. Notice, if you will, we're going to look at three issues. You will see in a moment, we'll not spend much time on it, but within the chapter, he will walk into the home of Peter, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick with fever, most likely malarial fever, long-term debilitating, put it down, exhausted, unable to do anything, fever. We will read the other two, Matthew 1, 34, it says this, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. 1, 42 picks it up, these are days later, it says, and a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. 41 says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. So family, I want you to see Jesus heals. Now, let's let's go back. This this had to have been a rather heady day for Jesus and the disciples, especially the disciples. From last week's calling of his disciples, most likely happened Thursday, Friday. 
because of the word immediately. They now go into synagogue early Saturday morning. Remember, days are determined sundown to sundown. We'll see how important that is in a minute. They're now gathering on Sabbath morning Saturday. Can't you imagine? It says, and they entered. Our text of Scripture, verse 21. Can't you imagine four guys right behind Jesus, the posse? Can't you imagine all four of them walking in behind Jesus? Hey, we're part of the in-group. I can almost picture white cowboy hats and black dusters. They now stand there. Can you imagine as, as they now say that Jesus begins to unpack Scripture with that incredible phrase, but I say. Can't you imagine them now swelling up with pride? We're part of the team. Now, can you imagine the demon? This is right away. And Jesus says, be gone. Can you now imagine them swelling up with pride? Now, I want to take you. If I could take you to Israel, those of you who have traveled, you're in the synagogue at Capernaum. You've been there. Those of you who can't, imagine now, if you will, the perfect size rock. Take that perfect size rock and throw it as hard and as far as you can. You're going to hit Peter's house. That's how close it was to synagogue. See, a Galilee's just right here. He's got, he's got oceanfront property. And now they walk into Peter's home and mother-in-law's sick in bed. Can't you just feel this little drain? You know, they've already been part of all of this stuff and now they come in and, and mom's sick. Jesus doesn't miss a beat and even though it's recorded in all three Gospels, do you know what we don't have? We don't have anything that anybody whined or told Jesus that mom needed attention. He just simply walks over to this dear lady, picks her up, and heals her. There's no asking, there's no faith, there's no, there's no effort. I just want you to hear and see and recognize the authority of the Almighty God as he takes control. So grateful, so she gets up and fixes dinner immediately. Unbelievable. We now finish off the evening. Remember, this is all happening the same day. New spreads the authority of Jesus. He killed, he, he threw out that demon. Now, nightfall. You see it, it, the scripture says sundown. What happens? Everybody comes to where Jesus is staying. They're at Peter's place. Can you take care of my needs? Can you help me? Can you help my family? At which case now, far into the evening, they begin healing. They begin throwing out demons that had possessed their dear loved ones. And it goes on all night. We don't know when it stops, but can you imagine the emotional drain that would have been on Jesus? The emotional drain that it had been on those who were his intimate followers. They're exhausted. Now we're going to leave that passage of Scripture. And come, if you will, to the leper. The leper is going to show us the first inklings of faith. I know your power. This is a few days later now. I know your power. The rumors are starting to spread. I know what you can do. 
You have the ability to heal me. I know you do. Jesus simply looks at him and recognizes this is leprosy. Family, just to remind you, this disease had an ick factor to it. And, and, and let's be fair, I don't know that we have one right now. Even, even in this COVID world we live in, we don't have a disease that has an ick factor. The closest time that I can, those of you who are a little older can remember that 80s and the 90s as AIDS first started to impact the world. It had an ick factor, didn't it? Because as soon as it impacted someone, it identified them for certain characteristics. And we were uncomfortable. So there, there's a, a factor that said, boy, they shouldn't have AIDS. And we were repulsed. AIDS was a, a, a miserable disease. It was a wasting disease and still is. It had, a, it had an ick factor just to have the disease itself. Leprosy is the same way. The infection spreads throughout the body, first hurting the nervous system of the appendages, the extremities, and all of a the sudden, there is no blood travel. The fingers begin to break off. The toes begin to break off. You have stubs. You now begin to be deformed. It's, uh, it, it attacks the inner lining of your nose, and pretty soon your nose is gone. You are deformed. You are ugly. You are a mass, and it has an ick factor that tells everyone, stay away, I have leprosy. And the man comes and says, I know you can cure me. And family of that, the worst of its time, Jesus said, I can, I will be clean. I want you to notice all three are commands. And all three are followed. Just like the evil spirit, Jesus does not want the man to tell people who healed him, how he was healed. Now, I take his warning to be that he didn't want selfish reasons for following him. He wanted people to accept the authority of who he was and what he was teaching. And so, family, it's important that as we finish off this first chapter, there's some incredible life lessons that we, we need to, to paste into our, our soul and our being. And I want you to recognize these lessons as being vital and important. The first, the true purpose is the story. Is the story. Jesus came to preach the good news of the coming kingdom. He didn't come to throw out evil spirits. He didn't come with the primary purpose to heal. He came to save people from sin and eternal judgment. See, understand here. Family, put it into your own life experience. What would you rather have? If you had a life-threatening cancer and you're young in your life, your family's still around you, you have potentially years of enjoyment, 
Would you rather have a healing for this lifetime, or would you rather have the forgiveness of sin that prepared you and gave you a place for eternity in heaven? And here's the sad truth. Are you and I smart enough to recognize what's primary? Because just like when I was young, I wanted to drive first. I wasn't smart enough to know what's critical. Jesus Christ said, I'm here for this. I have authority to do all the rest, but I'm here for the cross. And so simply put, I don't want us to ever forget what's of primary importance. The church does a lot of good for us as individuals, doesn't it? It gives us a sense of stability. It gives us purpose and meaning. It gives us friendships that are vital and wonderful. It gives us a reason to go out to dinner on Sunday afternoons. It has a lot of good things. But if we forget the primary, what is Jesus Christ considering important? Then we miss the whole point. Family, never forget that you and I have been invited into the same business as the apostles. Follow me, authority. I will make you fishers. I will change your careers of men. I will change your treasure. No longer financial, but the people who you are around. Never forget that ultimately you are in the people business. And those people are to be served because they're saints or shared the truth of the gospel because that's why our Savior came. Lesson number one. Lesson number two, I want you to see the true power. Time with God. We missed a little section of Scripture. I'm hoping some of you saw it and were already mad at me. All right? But we did miss a little section, 35 to 39. And it needs a moment of our time. Remember I said that all of this happened in about a 24-hour period of time. With the exception of the leper, can you imagine call of the first disciples overnight sleep declaration of the authority of scripture as he taught for the very first time and now the throwing out of a demon now we we come home and we have a light meal but also there was a healing and then we finish off the night well into the night midnight one o'clock in the morning healing everyone who showed up at the door Can you imagine how emotionally spent any of you would have been? The one thing you and I would have wanted was a long night's sleep. Probably a light snack. And probably a chance to decompress with others, telling them what's going on. Because, man, you just saw a boatload of stuff. Now, Jesus went to sleep. We We see in Scripture here, it says, He got up. We have no idea how long he got up. But he went to a silent place and poured out his heart to God the Father. Family, as as we see this, I want you to understand, Jesus sought his refreshment with the Father. It doesn't say how long he took that refreshment, nor as if the the place of solitude is vital. I want you to see what's important for you and I. God 
wants you centered on Him. If Jesus needs to spend time with the Father, if He needs to be with the Father, we need to model His example. He relied on the Father and the Spirit to fulfill His mission. So let's not let you and I become so disconnected that we're so easily fooled by the popular ability of someone, by the the, the talents of another. Let's remember we constantly need a time with the Father in order to gain the spiritual sustenance to accomplish His purpose. Never, never, never forget. Notice third, the true purpose, the true power, the true perspective. We come back to what God considers important. People. Family, what an incredible workout. God is calling out God's people who treasure people. His willingness to involve himself with Peter's mother-in-law. Peter didn't ask him, hey, do me a favor. He immediately jumped in. He worried about the consequences later. Then the leper. Verse 41 says, he was moved with pity. Family, there's a, a hard translation here. It's the same word as angry. Jesus got angry. The translator said moved with pity. Here's the struggle. I will suggest to you a little more accuracy might be he was angry. He was angry that the evil which came into the world with sin was spoiling human nature. He was angry that life wasn't as he'd created it. He was angry because his purposes were being shadowed. Meeting people's physical needs was a demonstration of Christ's compassion and power. Family, love says and does what is necessary and deals with the consequences later. So Jesus jumped in to help over and over and over again so that his ultimate purpose, the sharing of salvation through grace and grace alone, could be of significance and importance in the lives of people. And the evil spirits, if you will, and the the healings, if you will, were just ways in which God says, I have the power to do what I want to do, but I need to remove these distractions from you so that you see and hear what's really important. Family, you and I should never forget you're in the people business because of who you are, you're Christ followers. Maria Dyer seemed to know that. Maria Dyer was born in 1837, and she was raised in a, in a missionary home in China. Her parents died before she was 10. She was taken back to, to England, where she stayed with an uncle until she was 15 years old. 
She got back to China at 16. She was married at 21 in China to this up-and-coming missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. Some of you know Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor would, would go and, and preach to the Chinese and share Jesus Christ, and Maria was in love with that ability to communicate the gospel. From the time that they married to the time that she died at 43, they would have nine children. Four of them would live. The other five precede them in death. She would put on her tombstone at, at 43 years of age to live as Christ, to die as gain. And yet it's the impact that Maria left. Sometimes you look down and you go, wow, she only lived to serve God 20-some years. The, the, the early life, the teenage life, that was, it was difficult, but it doesn't have the same impact. You and I don't understand God uses lives. Do you realize that seven generations of her kids went on to serve and love the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and love the Chinese people to make certain that, that the gospel stayed within that incredible country? That heart and that vitality still lives in the Chinese believers today. Hudson Taylor's dad was a Methodist preacher who would get on his knees and say, Lord, please open the doors to China that someone would go in and preach the gospel to the Chinese people, never knowing it was going to be his son that, that, that began the turn in the country. Family, we now, we now be, are, are able to look back on 150 years of the gospel in China, and we now see that the Chinese are the largest concentration of believers on the world. See, God's got a bigger agenda here. All He asks you to do is follow Him. Let Him be the one who changes your career thoughts. Let Him be the one to begin to allow you to treasure other people. But give Him a heart that wants it all. He has the authority to move in any of the ways in which you pray to see God work. Father in heaven, please help us to, to grasp in Matthew, or excuse me, in, in Mark this morning. Dear God, we don't, we don't worship a religious leader. We worship a brother who will share his inheritance with us. Father, we worship a brother who went to the cross bearing our sin. Father, we, we worship a brother who rose from the grave triumphantly and said, don't ever worry. You're going to rise in the same way I did. We worship a brother who said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. You'll never be without an intimate relationship with God on high. We worship a brother who said, I've got a place for you. We worship a brother who said that place will last forever. Father in heaven, don't let us diminish. Don't let us diminish. Don't let us diminish what we have because we ask and want the wrong questions in our lives. Help us to stay focused on what's the critically important. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.